You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have David Pepper on the show. He has a phenomenal new book. It's called A Simple Choice. And if you love thrillers the way I do, this is a must-have for your uh, late summer to be red pile. Uh, you know, if you're taking a beach trip or just taking some some time alone in your favorite reading chair, this is a book that that must be top of pile. Um, welcome to the show, David. Thank you. I appreciate you saying all those nice things about my book. Yeah, absolutely. I really, really love the book. Um, so I'm excited to talk about it today. Um, but before we get into all that, David, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? That's a great question. So I, I, I and you'll see this in my books. I was a writer in college as a journalist. So in one way, the answer is I was a very active journalist, and that's always made me think about writing. But my first memory as a fiction writer, well, you know, and I'm, I just turned 51, so I'm a little older, was about a decade ago. I, while I had done other types of writing, I had never written fiction or, or storytelling. But I was very frustrated with one aspect of politics that's known better now than it was called gerrymandering. Mm. It's the drawing of districts so that the results are essentially predetermined. And I remember thinking out of a frustration that no one knew anything about it. I want to try and figure out how to write a story that makes it much more real to people how problematic it is. Now, it's a creative writing story. It's fiction. But I want a story that draws out the problems in a way that clearly the news and the nonfiction side of the world isn't doing. And that was probably around almost around 10 years ago to right around now. And uh, as I joke, that actually turned out to be a very poor idea for a novel because that's not a very exciting story. <laughs> and I learned quite quickly, OK, if you're going to do that, go for it. But you better have a good story to tell. And that's when I started throwing in all sorts of characters. And I worked in Russia, so I used a Russian oligarch. And, if he, you know, the first book actually did quite well. People like it. Uh, so I figured out how to write a good story. But that first moment was, I got to tell this story because no one seems to know the problem. And and if I only write it as nonfiction, only the people who already know it's a problem will ever figure it out. I need to get to a broader audience. And that's why I wrote my first book. Isn't that the power of fiction, though, to be able to communicate um, a concept, uh, a concept that may be very difficult for a lot of people to wrap their brain around? But when you couch it in in story and you attach it to a character that that readers connect with and ultimately fall in love with, then that that initial kernel of truth that you wanted to get out to them becomes bigger and bigger, doesn't it? Yeah. And that that's when, you know, I knew I was doing OK. My, neither of my brothers is that political. And my goal was to get beyond insiders. And both my brothers read the book, and the book's a thriller, like the all the ones I've written. And they said at the end, not being that political, hey, David, that was a really good book. That was exciting. And then they would say, 
And that gerrymandering sure sounds bad. Is that really how it works? <laughs> and that's my new, although it's not, you know, one of the risks of writing a book like that is you don't want to be preachy. Right. You, the, the story drives it all. The characters drive it all. So you don't want to overdo anything else. But the fact that they said that made me think, okay, it sort of worked. People learned something that about politics and some deeper themes, but they did it within a story that didn't feel like it was hitting over them over the head with it. And that's, that, so it's a it's a balance. You don't want to get carried away. But, yeah, that's that's really what made me start. And and people will find in a simple choice in all my books that there's sort of this it's about the real political world we live in. But it's a story within it that hopefully is a, is a page turner with interesting characters and a compelling narrative. And, and, and that's sort of the the commonality of all my books. You you really hit on something just a second ago, David, when you said that. um that you you didn't want to come across as preachy and you know overtly political. Um, you didn't say that per se, but that's that's kind of how I was taking what you were saying. Um, as someone who has worked in politics for quite a while, um, th- that's really what separates a good politician from a great politician is that person who can connect with their constituents and and make them feel something, you know, you, you can yeah. get up at a, an lectern and, and talk about policy, you know, until you're blue in the face and, and until everyone in the audience is asleep. But if you could connect with them as a storyteller, then you can make them care about the, uh, the things that, that, you know, you're trying to rally people behind. And, and, and that, that really is the difference in, in what makes a politician memorable or not, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in in one, you know, some politicians think if they stand up there and argue data and facts that that's how they're winning. And like readers, that's not how people are thinking. And if you get to them through stories and emotion and sort of gut level, you know, reactions, but stories is the key to that. Yeah, you're you're far more effective than if you're trying to win an argument, just throwing a bunch of data at people. And so I actually have found that 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 uh, and I've learned a lot about politics through writing. You know, think about it this way. I think every and, and you would know this better than better than I. But as one writer friend of mine told me when I first started writing and he thought my book was too plot heavy and not enough about characters, he said, David. My um, he said, David, if the if a reader loves your characters, they'll go they'll go with them through just about any plot. If they don't have much of a feel for your characters, it doesn't matter about the plot. Like, you'll lose them. And he said that, and I believe that for writing, but that's true of a campaign, kind of what you're saying. Yeah. I have seen candidates run for offices that nobody cares about before that candidate. But once they like that candidate because they like the character and they like the backstory and they know who they are, they're, they're, you know, they're given support. They're making phone calls because they want that person to succeed. And that person has convinced them that they could do great things in that office. So it's a it's a really parallel thing, just like you, you a good story relies on a great character. A good campaign starts with all, the same thing. Someone who's compelling, who's told their story well, and that story resonates with with the people they're trying to get to vote for them. So there's a lot of overlap that I've learned over time. Sure. Um, in that first book, when when you had a a plot uh, determined, you knew where you wanted the story to go and you you knew how you wanted people to feel about this topic that you were obviously passionate about. 
um, when you then realized that you needed to uh, to make it more character heavy, you needed to to make the characters more likable and and people that readers wanted to go on this adventure with. Where did you start in in, you know, uh, forming those characters that people were going to love? When I first started, it was honestly, and this was, a, I was a, I'd never written fiction. And I was myself, I told you, I was thinking about gerrymandering. So I was so obsessed with that that I kind of just didn't focus enough on the characters. So it wasn't that they weren't, they weren't, they weren't fully formed. And they, and you weren't seeing the story through their eyes. And, and one of the most dramatic adjustments I made to an entire book was I rewrote it in the first person. Because that was a way to get me inside their head, describing everything as they experienced it, as opposed to sort of from 30,000 feet. You don't have to do that. My a simple choice isn't first person. But for those books, my first three, I really did do that. And it, it helped me think about character differently. And in the fourth book, I'm very happy about how I wrote character through the third person, sort of close view. But but I that going into first person and, re, you know, it's a lot of work to rewrite an entire book in first person. But... <laughs> That was sort of my way of forcing myself to say, okay, you need to really understand and think through and have the reader understand every aspect of this character and how he sees things. Um, And that was how I did on the first book. And I I learned lessons ever since um, about how to do that well. But but my first round, I just, again, as a new writer, I was consumed with a plot I thought had some good twists. And I kind of would say, you know, didn't really go all in on the character. And that's what that very good input was telling me I had, had to think about. In that first trilogy, um, you focused on the character of Jack Sharp, um, who was a um, uh, a journalist. And in your new book, you also have a journalist who is uh, who's who we meet. Um, does does this kind of harken back to your early career as a journalist is, is that why you connected so deeply with that type of character yeah i mean it is i i, I because of those early years i wouldn't claim to be a journalist now and a, a professional journalist would not want me to but i <laughs> i think i created a, a my I, I think by being a journalist all through college summer jobs editor at my college paper i think i really thought about the world in that lens and i i still think i do and and i i understand how how that profession works a lot of people in politics don't and they make a big mistake because of that um and so the other thing is journalists make great narrators because they're always digging stuff up they're always seeking the truth or holding people accountable so for storytelling they turn out to be a very a very good uh, character if you need characters who drive a plot forward because they're always on the hunt for something. And, you know, this day and age, we also have the issue that that uh, journalism is sort of dying. And I think it's very bad for democracy that we have, you know, uh, a, a state and local level of journalism that's dying. So I actually like to lift them up as sort of a hero at a time where a lot of people are worried about the state of our democracy. Well, and if you're strictly talking about um you know, developing a protagonist, you, you could have a mystery or a thriller and you could have a protagonist that was an investigator, a, a detective of sorts. Um, but having a journalist affords you all sorts of opportunities to be close to the action, to to dig for things like you said, while also um, not having to follow 
some of the the uh, the rules and regulations of of the law. Um, it, it really that that type of character that there's a reason why we have lots of uh, mysteries and thrillers with reporters that they they really do have a unique vantage point. Yeah, and and when I had a trilogy, and again in my in my current book, one of my two main characters are journalists, and the other right. has another really important reason to pursue something. But yeah, you you know. My books are always about trying to capture a realistic vision of the world. And it's not like most people just sit around and all of a sudden have this really intense reason to get to the bottom of something. Well, journalists do. So that's why they've, I, I think, been very good. And if you're going to have a trilogy where the same person keeps digging, there are, or like you said, there's police detectives, there's FBI agents, there's spies, and there's journalists. And um, in this case, the journalist has, you know, Jack Sharp. And what I like about Jack Sharp, for, for those who haven't read these books, is he's um, he's kind of this down and out journalist in Youngstown who's kind of just checking it in. But then all of a sudden he gets really fired about a story and it revives his career. And he goes through this roller coaster ride as a journalist. But he's kind of got this really interesting arc of a guy who's he's just kind of, you know, cashing it in. And, you know, not that he's making that much money, but he's sort of. He's lost the, the the fire and he refines it in the in the in the political scandals he comes across. Those those first three books um, that you wrote with Jack Sharp, The People's House, The Wingman, and The Voter File. Uh, with the Voter File, did you feel like that the uh, the chapter had sort of closed on Jack Sharp? I mean, not not totally, but and, and I could write other books with him. I mean, for the reasons we talked about, he's an, actually an amazing character to explore a scandal. But as I wrote this book, and this was some really good advice from my editor, and, and you would know this from what you do. In this book, the, the, the truth is it's the same political world as the world Jack Sharp was in. It's the same president even. But Jack Sharp was in this story not the closest to the action emotionally. And he just was not the ideal um, main character of this book. The, the woman in this book who grew up in Mansfield, her name is Amity Jones. She's a former Supreme Court clerk, a lawyer, a former JAG lawyer, a former you know member of the Army. She is actually just the better main character to tell the story because she is feeling the emotions of the story every day. And once I had the story, it was very clear to me that Jack Sharp just, you know, as much as I'm fond of him and the other stories, he wasn't the ideal main character because he wasn't closest to the not just the action, but the emotion of that action. So I put him on, uh, you know, I, I put him on recess for a little bit. Will he come back another book? Maybe, but this wasn't the book for him to be the one telling the story. I love to ask people about the the moment of creation, that first spark of inspiration, uh, where a book comes from. And you said in in your first book, you were really passionate about the topic of gerrymandering, and 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 the story sort of grew out of that. Um, in subsequent books, it, does the same sort of creative process happen? Do you start thinking of a topic and then look for characters to cast? you know, a, a plot that might revolve around that? Or, you know, is it is there like a, a, a news article that you read or some briefing that you get a hold of and then the the what if game starts playing? What what is that first it, moment it's of so creation? Funny to ask that, um, so my second book, because for me it is moments. Something happens and I think that's a book. It's just to go very specific on you. The second book called The Wingman, which I'm I'm very proud of, 
the book occurred to me, if you may, you may remember those crazy uh, primary debates on the Republican side when Trump won the presidency. Oh, yeah. Okay, they were crazy. They, you know, he was at the center of it all. But there was one debate where Chris Christie, who had been kind of underperforming all these debates, decided he was going to be really nasty to Marco Rubio. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. I was watching I my face, and he <laughs> was so effectively nasty that he destroyed Rubio in one debate, but not in a way that helped Chris Christie, in a way that helped Donald Trump. And the mm. minute I saw that, I thought, I've got my next plot. Because my plot is all about <laughs> someone else in a primary who is put there purposely to hurt the front runner. That is the title, the wingman. The person is literally a wingman to the person everyone wants to win. And and the, the literally the book starts at a presidential debate in a primary in New Hampshire. So that was literally one debate. I'm sitting around my basement editing my other book. I was like, oh my gosh, I just got my book. The new book, Simple Choice, same story. Um, it's a lot. It's about cancer research. It's about a choice every character makes about if, if they're given a choice to save a loved one through through um, a cutting edge research, a loved one who is going to die from cancer. But they're given the choice. I have a cure. I can save your loved one, but you must do the following things. The book is all about what choice would you make? What trade are you willing to make? What lines will you cross? All that occurred to me. I was sitting. I was just emailing with the person. I was sitting on a couch of a friend of mine, a, a couple who had just done a political thing for me, uh, an event, and they were telling me about their kids who were involved in this new technology called CRISPR, which is a cutting edge cancer research technology, which is both really, really, um, you know, a potential huge breakthrough, but also has ethical implications. And they were done describing this technology. I thought to myself, I've got a book. So it's normally like that. I, there's a moment that sticks out. I think I think that has the makings of a great book. So it's more about a concept, and then I roll it out with characters in the story. But there's always sort of a hook or a concept that gets me going, and you just never know when it's going to hit you. And and once you've written 200 pages, you just hope, my God, I hope the concept's good. Because <laughs> I've now dedicated a year of my life to something that I thought about on a moment's notice. In your your previous books, the the sharp books, you uh, wrote those first person, and we're very close, obviously because of first person to uh, to what he's thinking and how he's going through this uh, this mystery of sorts. With a simple choice, we're in third person, and the camera uh, kind of pulls back, uh, for lack of a better term, and and we have two main protagonists um like you said we've got palmer knight and we've got amity jones and and we've kind of uh you know go back and forth what was this a uh, how did you feel as an author in taking this approach to uh to character viewpoint and and what did it afford you um you know in the writing that maybe new tools in your toolkit that writing the other way didn't give you yeah, I mean, I think that with Amity, you know, she's not first person, but she my hope is the reader. It it almost feels like first person. It, right. She's the main driver of the story. And I've got, you know, the and you I'm sure you thought about this, but I've got the camera on her shoulder. So it may right. not be right in her head in the first person, but it is real close. So my hope is someone would say, I know Amity as well as I ever knew Jack Sharp. Yeah. The other characters you get to know some, but but it takes you a while to get to know them. But I have a I have a lot of third person characters 
you know, the risk of having a lot of third person characters that you tell the story through is you, you can get too many. And my hope is I got it just right where you get to know them and they're interesting enough that you want to know them. And and I do that. But this book, I would say more than my other books. Because I've I hopefully it's because I've learned how to do it better. This this book has more interesting characters beyond one or two of them. And so I felt the need on a couple of the senators who are a big part of the plot. I wanted you to see how they were viewing things. So I do go to some other third person characters. Um, so Amity is the central character. She's the Jack Sharp from prior books. But then I do spend more time on some other characters. I I think, you know, and my, my general feedback is I, that, that people are keeping up with each one because they're distinctive. I think they are authentic. But I did try and get you more. And, and my hope is by going between the different characters, at least for me as a reader, I think this, the, the action is always moving forward because you're not just getting one character's, you know, weeks at a time with them. You're going back and forth and seeing a, a, a quite a complex plot through many eyes. And as long as I've done a good job of keeping track of who's saying what, I think it actually makes the story move more swiftly. Someone told me the other day on a call like this, they finished the book in two and a half hours. Now, <laughs> as a writer, I that's a huge compliment because it right. meant they couldn't stop. And you want, when you write a book like this, you want a literal page turner. You do not want people all of a sudden getting bored or getting lost or getting confused. I had a woman last night at a book event say, I've already finished. And I thought, well, that's great because it just came out. And so my hope is by with multiple viewpoints in crisp chapters, you keep people moving through a plot that if you wrote a different way, might get a little too heavy for folks and they may stop. The book um, sort of opens with an inciting incident, and we've got a, a senator who um, apparently commits suicide in in Maine. Yeah. And uh, how did you come up with that concept? The the way to, you know, as soon as I get into the book, I'm I'm I, I'm I'm hooked. You know, I, I've got to know what's going on here. And yeah. and you know, with an incident that is seemingly not connected to the, the story that you're trying to tell, like how do you come up with that way to hook readers in and to to draw them into the story and keep them turning pages? Well, you know, I what I like is it's not just someone committing suicide, which is obviously a dark way to start a story. Yeah. But before he does, you get to know him enough that he's to me. And this is so somewhat of the part of the point of the book in a world right now that we actually live in, where there are very few admirable political figures. When you read, I hope about this person, you're thinking, man, I wish we had people like that in politics right now. He's he's a statesman. He's he's led a life where he's he just my hope is exudes character and he's lived a full life. He's still in his 80s. And so I hope that the that the that the catch is when he jumps off this cliff and we've given away a little bit of the book, but I'm OK with that. You're really sad. You're like, wait a second. That's not who we want to go. This right. is someone that we're craving to have in politics, sort of the last person you'd think would do this. So what the heck happened that we're losing someone that we would admire and we want to have leading our country? So my hope is there's this there's this contrast between this very admirable public servant and the fact that what something caused him to think he had to end his life. 
And, and that begins the story in a way that that hopefully, you know, you're you're literally spending the book as a um, as a reader trying to figure out why did he do that? And then you're trying to figure out because chapter two starts in Mansfield, Ohio. How does all this connect up? And in the end, it all that does, because it's a much broader, a broader plot than than you might f- first think. Is there something um, unique about American politics that lends itself to the kind of story with with, you know, all of the the cloak and daggers, if you will, um, yet still allows us to maintain our our hope and uh, our view that that we, you know, have the the best that we could hope for uh, in in this country. Is, is there something unique about our political system that allows us to do that? Uh, yeah, I mean that's a great question. I mean I think we we in the end now we're in a dark time right now. Um, so I hope the answer is yes. I spent a lot of my non-fiction side on nonfiction about threats to and this is why I write the fiction too. Threats to democracy, corruption, but I also spent a lot of time on what we can do about it. And we have gone through very dark times as a country in the past. But in the end, we've always seen our way through. Now, you take nothing for granted in a democracy. Democracy is a very rare thing in our in the history of this country, the history of this world. And it can it can devolve quickly. But our country's history has been even at very dark moments, certain people saw a light and they kept aiming towards it and they end up prevailing. So, yeah, I think there's sort of this this the reality that that there are moments where democracy is really under assault. But there's also this unique history of our country that, unlike in other places, we we went back to first principles about democracy and we revived it. And I think that, again, that's sort of the all my books have that kind of theme in it about, um, you know, fighting for fighting for a country that's that's you know energized by democracy fighting through efforts to subvert it and um that's what that's what amity jones is doing in the end that's what these these are people who who are trying to get us to our best place and that that really is the history of our country is that same fight yeah david you you mentioned earlier about the the intricacies of of your plots and and how you uh you keep us guessing from page to page of what's going to happen next as a writer um when you're when you're dealing with you know a, a 400 page manuscript uh, uh how do you how do you track um your your twists your turns your red herrings your uh your reveals uh do you have have you developed a system that allows you to to kind of uh keep track of of what you're doing uh, so that you can you know, trust yourself uh, in the in the telling of the story. It's a great question. So I've never been with someone who has some massive outline. I sort of start and I just start writing. Um, so I but then once it starts to get complicated. Yeah, I mean, I will take notes and say. So and so storyline, you know, you got to You got to round that out. You got to fix it. And so what, for me, maybe more than other writers, because I don't outline, the editing process is the key to the whole thing. Yeah. Get it all down. And I'll add twists in the end that I didn't plan when I started the book. Um, and so it's really important for me that if I'm adding you, you want every twist to be um, 
um, you know, not so out of the blue that it's the reader rejects it. And so once I've added the final elements of the plots and any twists, any surprises, I will go back through the entire book and edit to make sure that I've given enough backstory or enough hints or enough of this and that, that it all sort of is smoothed out enough so it's all credible and nothing feels like kind of a cheap twist based on nothing. So for me, it's a it really is about the editing process. And you, you don't. I don't mind leaving a little few loose ends where the reader almost in their own mind is deciding what really happened. I don't want to answer every question, but you leave too many open and the reader will feel very unsatisfied by the end of the book. And so, yeah, when I edit, I make sure that the story of most characters, there's there, it, it lands in a place that the reader understands, that there isn't some massive gap between point A and point Z in terms of how it happened. And that, for me, that's all about really good editing and really good analysis of your chapters and the storylines of each character. I have a friend who's a, a, a hardcore outliner plotter, um, and he says that everyone is an outliner. Uh, it's just a matter of whether you outline before you start writing or when you edit. And and I've always thought that was kind of funny. That's because, a great point. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's my problem. And it, it, it may be just me, but I, I've actually read other authors. Say, I think my creative juices are not flowing unless I'm writing like yeah. actual writing. Right. And if I sit there at an outline, it's just not firing away. And maybe I'm getting older. So this is why like, <laughs> I my creative juices are not do not get fired up by outlines. Yeah. I need to be writing. And as I write, I challenge myself. I think about what's next. What would logic come next? What would that character think or do? And an outline does not do that for me. And so what I will do is I guess I could say I outline as I go. Like if I'm at one chapter, I will jot down a few notes. It's not an outline. Okay, what would happen next? What should the next three or four chapters look like? And then I keep going. And then later on, I think, okay, how is this going to wrap up? So I, I guess I'm like, as that person said, I'm more of an outline as I go or at the end as I edit. But it's always part of writing because if I'm not writing, I'm not thinking through. Like it's a very, I mean, you're almost in the, you're almost in the, uh, going back to Amity Jones or Jack Sharp, I almost am in that character's head thinking, what would what should I do realistically next to get out of the jam I'm in? What would I actually do? And I also do that, by the way, when I think about what the bad guy would do. And if I'm not in that and, and by the way, that character is not outlining. <laughs> that's the problem. Once I'm in that mindset writing, that's when I'm really thinking it through. And I've been in places, by the way, and this is true of a lot of writers, I'm sure. I did have writer's block. But I reached a moment where my character was so trapped that I was thinking, well, my God, how do I get out of this trap? I don't know. And for days, I couldn't write a sentence because I'm stewing. How would this character get out of the trap I, I wall them into? And I, I had two choices. I need to wall them in less or I need to really get creative about how I get out of it. And ultimately, about four days into this one moment I'm remembering, I had a dream about it. And I woke up. I thought, well, there we go. I got my way out. But I'm writing more in that way than I am sort of some hard outline for the beginning. It's just not the way that apparently my brain works. Well, whatever you have uh, found that works for you, please keep doing it, David. Um, a simple choice 
available everywhere now. Uh, we're going to put links to it uh, where you can grab it in Kindle edition or uh, hardback if you prefer to hold the book in your hand or audiobook. Um, have you heard any of the audiobook yet, David? I, I I listened to a few of the the reads and by the way, once you have a major publisher, one of the best things about it is it's fun to choose your reader. Yeah. And I, they sent me several different ones. And for me, one woman really stuck out is exactly what I thought of when I thought of Amy Jones. And they wrote an email back saying, OK, well, we'll try and get her to say yes. And she did. So I have not heard the whole thing yet. But but when I heard her read some of it, she was ex- she fit it perfectly. And I was so glad that that's who they chose. Um, you know, my past book, what's been funny and fun is and I don't have as much of this in this book, although I do have you know some characters. I have a Scottish professor, but I had um, a Russian, a Ukrainian, a ca- guy from Kazakhstan. So those books were really difficult to read for because you needed someone who and I, I worked in Russia, so I know what a Russian accent sounds like in English. Finding someone who could pull off all those accents was actually really hard. And if per someone gets stuff like that wrong, it can really be distracting. So those were challenging. But in this case, I the minute I heard this one reader, I thought we've we've got a great person. And she ended up being the reader for the book. Love it. Uh, also, go visit your local bookstore and uh, and pick up a simple choice there. David, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, um, is there a place where they can connect with you online? Yeah, the biggest and best way by far is um, I'm very active on Twitter. Oh, caution, I'm quite political on Twitter. So if you don't agree with everything, you know, not everyone's going to. But in my Twitter account is David Pepper. Um, you can go to my website. You can follow me on Facebook. I have a public account uh, uh, that people can follow. But by far, I have Instagram too, um, David Pepper for Ohio, the number four in, in, in YouTube. But if you really are interested in, in my fiction writing, issues around democracy, not only in Ohio, but elsewhere, uh, at David Pepper is is my most active place by far. And um, um, I think those who are who are into either the writing side or the I do a lot of videos. I do a lot of whiteboard videos, explainers on democracy and politics. They get a lot of views. So that's that's probably the best place is my Twitter account at David Pepper. Excellent. We'll link that up to make it easy for folks to find you. This has been so much fun chatting. Thank you for taking time to come on the show. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for, you know, when, when you're a writer like this, you just love talking about writing and to have someone like yourself who interviews us and we get into some of the details is a lot of fun. So thanks for having me and thanks for doing what you're doing. <laughs>